This episode is sponsored by DreamHost, web hosting with purpose. Visit dreamhost.com forward slash Climify to sign up for a hosting plan today. I'm Eric Benson, the host of Climify, and I've been a satisfied DreamHost user since 2006. And I'm not the only one who enjoys DreamHost. They are PC Mag's Editor's Choice winner five years in a row. I use DreamHost because they're affordable. They care about the planet, they're easy to use, and have fantastic customer service. In fact, it's 24-7. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up the back end of my WordPress site, only to be saved by a DreamHost technician within the next 15 minutes or less. They're always available on chat. They send me links to tutorials, but most often just fix the site themselves, and then voila, it's back up within a few minutes. DreamHost customer service is seriously the best. Because I care about the planet, I also want a hosting service that does too. DreamHost has improved on their corporate sustainability since I joined up 16 years ago. Currently, they get their electricity from renewable sources, use high efficiency cooling infrastructure, utilize power efficient processors, and partner with in-state clean wind programs. I also love how DreamHost is employee-owned and have office sustainability initiatives. DreamHost is committed to their employees and to their customers. Plus, their affiliate program is really cool. You can earn $15 to $200 in commission just for referring a friend who sets up a new account. Even better, DreamHost has no limits on how many people you refer to the program. To sign up as a DreamHost affiliate, go to dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. That's dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. And just click the sign up today button. And if you want to learn more about their sustainability initiatives, head to dreamhost.com and click on the green hosting link on the bottom. Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. My name is Brooke Havlick, and I'm a communication strategist working with nonprofit, philanthropy, and business to strengthen their climate and human rights communication. I live in New York City, and you can follow me at brookehavlick.com or on Twitter and LinkedIn at Brooke Havlick. I know I said we wouldn't have an episode this week, but as COP27 is in Egypt in a few days, I found a bit of time to put this episode with Brooke Havlick together just for you. Throughout this season, we've woven in to every episode the question, how do we better tell climate stories? This is what Brooke does for a living. She's a great person to cap off our last individual interview this season, sharing the best strategies to communicate climate action to a community and how she thinks we need to rebrand the telling of our collective climate future. Brooke, well, welcome to Climify. It's an honor to have you on the program. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. How's it over there? And you're in New York, right? I am. And yeah, it's the end of October, early November, and it's 70 degrees in New York City, which is uh, pretty scary um, Yeah, that it's yeah. this warm right now in New York. And I've heard that from around the world, too. 
Yeah, a friend of mine who's around the New York area said uh, she's had a LinkedIn post where it was her in a tank top saying this this is not right for, mm-hmm. for October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels, um, you know, it's a strange morning. I also woke up and read the UN report this morning that, you know, countries aren't on track right now to, yeah, to meet the climate that. goals. So definitely thinking about both that kind of personal local experience and then mm-hmm. the global news cycle right now. Yeah, well, some sobering news to start the day, for sure. I read that same report, and I'm hoping our conversation is a little bit more uplifting as with things that we can do. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So what led you to getting involved in the work that you're doing and uh, um, why climate? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And I think particularly, you know, I work in climate communications and there, and I work with media a lot. And so only a couple of years ago, I think I realized why I decided to work kind of on the public relations or communication side. And I realized that when um, I think about a childhood story that my mom told me a lot. Um, my mom was kind of the person who was like the letter writer. You know, she taught me how to write a letter to the editor when I was yeah. 10 years old, if I was mad about something. Did or you do writing. that? I did. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Um, but she also, she always told a story about my grandfather, you know, um, white working class, lower, lower class, you know, um, man growing up in, in the 60s and 70s. And she, she was a, a product of that time as mm-hmm. well. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't have views that I agree with, right? He was, you know, misogynistic, a little bit racist. Yeah, um, that's no good. And yeah, but, you know, <laughs> the story of a lot of, um, you know, white men throughout our history, right? And white people, right? These are things that yep. we um, know to be true. And um, she told me a story about how the, the news would come on um, at night and she'd be sitting with her dad and because she was being exposed to the media and she was being exposed to things her friends were saying or culture around her, mm-hmm. she had a really different viewpoint than her father. And yeah. I, my grandmother would get so mad that they were fighting so hard about what was happening in the country at that time. Wow. Of course, it was a very turbulent time during Vietnam and the civil rights yeah. movement that she'd come in and unplug the television and to stop them from fighting. And to me, that was like a really interesting childhood narrative that the media shaped my mother's viewpoints enough to, to change her mind on something that she could have replicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think over the years, we've seen how important communication design is to like shaping our worldview. And for a long, long time, certain groups of people have had the power to shape that, whether it's you work in an advertising agency, you are um, working as a a journalist or whatever it might be, or in the creative industry, theater, movies, all of these things. And really only in the last probably five, 10 years has there been a shape up in that. And I see myself as, you know, and what led me to this to working in media is that you know you need people to be pushing that from the inside and to be yeah. to be changing how things are done and I think you know we can talk a little bit more about what that looks like with climate over the last yeah I want 10, to, 20 cause... years but um it, it really it, it shapes now you know where I where I've been and the kinds of jobs I've had and opportunities yeah in a future episode I, I 
talked to some of my current students um, already recorded, and they talked about the same thing about there's a need for people to be in the system as much as there needs to be people outside of the system pushing it. And so that's what you're doing. You're inside in the media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the PR industry in general has had an extremely powerful, um, you know, position uh, to be able to both enable fossil fuel companies to continue to kind of get out scotch-free, but also it's had a powerful position in starting to change people's perspectives. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, journalists are independent and they, they do their research and things like that. But, um, you know, the, the public relations industry is, is quite powerful in helping shape what gets on the news and, and what, what happens and what people see and how that shapes their worldview too. Yeah, I totally agree on that. And one of the reasons why I invited you on was to hear more about your experiences in shaping the conversation around climate and what what your experiences were there as well as what you found to be very effective um, in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe you can start with, you know, just your experiences in, in working in this, in this sphere and um, how it's been for you. Yeah, so I've worked, you know, across... Uh, cultural institutions, public media, grassroots organizing, philanthropy, um, and business. And so I've, I've really gotten the cool thing I think about being in comms or design or in these spaces is you can really move from different types of institutions, campaigns, projects, and really feel like, where am I having the impact I wanna have at that moment? And you know, especially for young people, um, and, and also people teaching young people. I think this is a really important thing to experiment with. Um, so I, you know, worked at a cultural institution in Chicago called the Shedd Aquarium. Oh, yes. We... <laughs> I'm a member of the Shedd Aquarium. Oh, awesome. My family my is. My first job. And it, it was really interesting because I don't think I left school. I studied sociology and anthropology. I didn't leave school thinking, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But while there, you know, for several years, I realized the power of an institution like that. They mm-hmm. see millions of people every year. Adults, you know, our cultural institutions are one of the main ways they get education on really yeah. important and critical issues. But also you have to speak to an incredibly wide audience. And so I, mm-hmm. I learned a lot there, both helping curate some museums that had some, mm-hmm. you know, climate information in there, um, but also digital content and things like that um, to help share messages. And then I, I moved, um, I went to grad school for environmental sociology at University of Oregon, which was incredibly... Yeah. Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon, exactly. Yeah. And I um, got to study with people who were studying law and philosophy and design and architecture. And that was such an incredible experience because I started to look at climate and environmental issues through yeah. so many different lenses. I was there to study it through race, class, gender, sexuality, but... I think, you know, sitting alongside people who were studying philosophy or poetry um, really made me think about the issue in a different way that it really is across the board. And you're not just a quote unquote environmentalist or a quote unquote climate activist. Yeah, they're all connected. They're all connected and there's so many ways. And just because you're a designer doesn't mean that's the only way 
you approach the, yeah, the problem. Yeah, that's or totally true. Yeah, I think yes. a lot of the designers feel like, well, I can make something and that'll help. But I think there's so many things that we can do just as citizens. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so then I uh, I transitioned. I went to um, public media. I worked at WGBH in Boston with this oh idea like, yeah, how do you... <laughs> I grew up on that, right? Oh, WGBH, awesome. yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot of good content um, yes. from WGBH. Um, and so I worked for NOVA, the science documentary oh, series. Love NOVA, love it. Yeah, and like worked with scientists, science communicators, thinking through how do you translate really complicated issues mm -hmm. to the wider public and particularly um, to young people um, within the, the science education field. And I love that, but I, I, I really, and I liked working in media, but I was really interested in being more on the kind of advocacy and action mm -hmm. side and political action. So I moved to mm -hmm. New York and started working at We Act for Environmental Justice as their second communications director. They had oh, been nice. around for 30 plus years. Um, and I trained under the incredible, well-known um, uh, environmental justice act activist, uh, uh, Peggy Shepard and the late Cecil Corbin Mark. And, and there I really wow. learned. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, two You must have learned houses. a lot from them. Yeah. I did. I did. Um, yeah, I worked at the local and the state and the federal level on policy advocacy and using communications and media to push through certain campaigns around climate justice, around clean air. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a, a really profound, important experience in my life um, because I was able to also understand how do you organize people, which is, again, getting back to the question of like, how do you move people yeah. To make the change you want. How do you do um, that? <laughs> well, I mean, there it's where I really learned it's not just about you or the design mm -hmm. or the news story. It's about the ecosystem of how you advocate for change, um, mm -hmm. whatever that, you know, subcategory of climate you're working on. Um, and so, so for me, you know, it's about having a learning that there's coalitions and other people in the game with yeah. you that can support you. And there's people in power where you have to, you know, think about how to use their mm. levers at certain points and get them on your side. And so it's, you know, it's, it's much more, it's much more comprehensive and, and bigger than just whether I placed a news story or whether I designed yeah. a good um, graphic, right. For them. And I think that, was really profound for me to see how something moves from A to Z. And sometimes it moves from A to, you know, D back to B. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and before you actually get a policy and, a, a, you know, one and a, a law changed. So there has to be a lot more um, planning than just one particular thing, right? You have to have all these other things that happen around it or connected to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was working with our organizers who were, you know, knocking on doors uh, within, you know, New York City Housing Authority or public housing. I was working with, um, you know, state legislators on materials that they needed, whether it was data or visuals for us, you know, a speech and, wow. you know, for legislation. It really, it's a, it's a whole gamut of, um, 
strategy and planning that go into a campaign and design and communications play such a central role in it because it's not just about changing the public's opinion to get, you know, a building electrification bill passed or, a, you know, climate bill passed. It's also, uh, it's really about, you know, whether the politician will do something about it and yeah. whether you can, that design communications media strategy also supports the pressure for them to make change. And some politicians listen better to that than others. I'm assuming that's that's right. But sometimes you you hear you're loud enough likely, that yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can be loud enough that they can't ignore you. Yeah, is- yeah. We got to do that more probably. Uh, did you find um, or do you have, I guess, uh, a campaign or project that you worked on that your favorite or one that you think just had like the most impact? Yeah, I mean, I think. Generally, when it comes to to climate stories and and campaigns, um, you know, we really have to think about how they have the power to to move hearts and minds, and not just presenting facts straight up. Um, And then I think you know, generally, we just need more of them. There's a long legacy within media, and I say that quite generally, whether it's film. Um, whether it's advertising, whether it's t- television, uh, print media, broadcasts of not enough reporting on both sure. the causes of climate change and the impact that it's having. And particularly right now, the solutions that are needed, the positive. I agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, there were a lot of people who called the the industry out on that. And I think things are really changing. There's a great group called Covering Climate Now that's pressuring media to tell more stories and better stories and stronger yeah. stories um, about that. But for me, one project that I feel really proud of was when I was at WEACT. Um, you know, we, this, I was there several years ago at this point, but we were noticing that um, in the communities, the environmental justice and climate justice communities in which we worked and organized in, that there was not a lot of good reporting and storytelling around what was happening with heat waves in the city. Obviously, Mm. New York City has the urban heat island effect. Temperatures are much hotter here than in um, Long Island or the Hamptons or something. all that concrete. So much concrete. Um, (laughs) And people live in old, old, old buildings. And so um, we... A couple of us at WEACT, um, as well as teaming up with CUNY, which is the state college or the city college yeah. here in New York City. And then with a, a news outlet called Adapt New York, we partnered together with um, each other to do some research on what was happening inside of people's homes. So we defined the problem. This was, we're not seeing enough press on it. We're not seeing enough storytelling. Um, and we need to design a solution for that. Um, and so we we worked with uh, a, a couple of um, I'd say tech, people who knew understood technology to yeah. build these little <laughs> monitors yeah. that we put inside of community members' homes across New York City that the, the we act worked with, and we for a whole summer uh, measured what was happening inside of people's homes. So most mm. of the data we have from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and other like federal level 
data about heat is often what's happening at the street level and not what's happening inside yeah. of people's homes. So this is where we we had a we you know in our design process we thought we're going to find data that shows there's a lot of injustice happening across the city. I'm sure. So we put them in people's homes, we measured it, and then we partnered with WNYC, the NPR station here in New York City, to air uh, weekly episodes about heat and how heat was impacting people across the city. Um, and then we eventually started reporting on the data we were getting, which was really cool. We collaborated to visualize through sound um, what it looks like um, to have an apartment in New York City where you don't have air conditioning oh, and how wow. hot it gets. So how the pitch of the... That's uh, wild. Yeah, the music went, would show you how hot it would get at certain points a day and that it would stay the same um, wow. at night, which is when it's most dangerous, particularly to people who have How did you guys think about that? Life. Like I would never, I guess my first thought would not go to sound. So how did you, how did you get there? Well, yeah, I mean... WNYC is audio, so you have you millions go. of listeners across the city, including very important policymakers who might not have had this on their radar. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were thinking about how challenging it would be to communicate that I think the average temperature homes without air conditioners were, were somewhere around 82 degrees Jeez. at night. Wow. But that doesn't, I mean, it's hot, but you, you don't know until you hear it. Um, that, um, through audio that it, it is pretty heightened at night compared to someone's house who has air conditioning. So. Wow. That was yeah, smart. And I, I, yeah. But I feel really proud of that because that wouldn't have just happened out of thin air, right? You had to figure out the problem, um, mm -hmm. design research, and then think of, you know, how to communicate it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you, you mentioned something about moving hearts and minds uh, a minute ago and I'm wondering what you have found, and it, I guess it may not be a silver bullet, but what has been moving hearts and minds uh, that you've seen from, I guess, the storytelling perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about the stories that need to be told, it's more about, and what, and what actually moves people from a communication standpoint, I go straight to what is the strategy? So I think that for a long time, we've been kind of focusing on generally, like we need to convince people. Um, right. People don't believe this. You have to use hope, not fear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are kind of common things we're hearing now about climate communication. Yeah, design. I hear those all the time. Yeah. All the time. And I think for me, as a, a comm strategist, there's no specific strategy for everyone, right? We're never yeah. going to move. That's what I've been public. also hearing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah. I definitely check, uh, recommend checking out Yale Climate Communications. They do oh, a lot sure. of amazing research on audiences and, and who you're actually speaking to. And, um, you know, they, they break down by category, like people who are alarmed all the way to like people who are dismissive. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as c climate communications has refined and advanced over time, we have to be more niche about how we target campaigns. Yeah. So thinking about who we're trying to, in the, you know, the audience who we're trying to influence, what do we want them to know? 
um, how do, you know, what, what and why do they need to change? Um, and who do they listen to? Who are the messengers? And so when we want to move hearts and minds, sure, we can produce a multi-million dollar blockbuster Hollywood film and say we've moved lots of minds, or we can be more specific. Are you working on a campaign or trying to move um, people in Pennsylvania to vote for a climate representative and not one who's a climate denier? Well, that's mm -hmm. a really specific strategy about how to move hearts yeah. and minds using climate um, as a potential lever. Are you um, the solar? Are you working in the solar industry as a designer, and you need more homeowners to get to make the switch? Maybe talking about climate isn't actually what's going to move their hearts yeah, and minds. It's I've also their heard that dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, I think it, I think that actually to you know get to the point of your your question, like how do we move hearts and minds? It's about being strategic and mm. knowing what you want out of it, and then we can figure out whether we actually accomplished it. And so that's how I think, and I think a lot of people who work in the communications field think about issues and problems. Yeah, and so do designers, right? I mean, we have mm -hmm. to know our audience, but I think maybe from maybe a design educator um, or just designer who wants to do more, um, they might not have at their, in their general knowledge base, all the audience information that you mentioned Yale does. So now they might because we're telling them, right? This mm -hmm. is a good way to, uh, if you're wanting to do this kind of stuff in your classroom, knowing the the audience is, you know, number one, if you want to have that communication. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's just so many resources out there now to, to get that information and you don't have to do original polling um, and you also don't have to make like assumptions about who those people are. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's there's just so many polling groups or research, you know, that um, I would really recommend instructors and students to to look for and to kind of stretch out of the, the boundaries of, of design because the, the amount that is going into fixing the, the positive here, like the amount of people the sheer amount of people who are working on climate and who are smart and brilliant and, you know, shif shifting out of other industries they might have been in or moving their research in this way is just, it's truly astounding to me. And it's, it's pretty cool. Well, actually. that's good to hear. I think yeah. from maybe, even though I'm connected and are, I'm very um, involved with climate um, action, climate justice. Uh, and I follow a lot of people on Twitter and LinkedIn. I I, I don't really know, or, or I can't really see that there's like that. So many people that you described that makes me feel better because you know I'm I yeah. I'm in this little bubble. I think and that bubble is it's growing every day, but that just makes me feel better. So thank thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's also like when you open the climate sections of any news outlet, it is mm -hmm. really dark. It, yeah. it feels really dark. And I think, you know, I, I think it's realistic, if not yeah, sure. denying that these things are happening. And I think that's a really important, we have to hold two truths at one time, which is, yeah, that's you know, important. I struggle with my own like emotions and mental health around what's happening around oh, yeah. us. Um, and I think it's, it's holding the truth of things are bad. Um, and, you know, People are experiencing it all over the world in, in different ways. 
probably worse than 70 degrees in November in New York City. <laughs> um, and yeah. at the same time, you know, solar energy is the cheapest form of energy that exists, right? That happens. Yeah, hooray, right? Rapidly. This is and, like, good. Celebrating those things. And I think that's also a role of climate and design folks is to really be able to hold both of those truths, not choose one or the other, hope or fear. It, it's both. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. scary stuff, but there's also a lot of incredible things happening. Yeah, the climate anxiety thing is a big deal and for a lot of people, including myself. And I remember talking to someone about it in counseling and I was, I think, trying to rationalize it. Like my anxiety about this isn't as bad as someone actually going through the, maybe not necessarily the worst case scenario, but maybe from the climate perspective and and her response as well, there's two truths. You can still be anxious about it and, you know, acknowledge that, but not, but also, you know, understand that it's, you're lucky too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think, you know, not that we're in a post-COVID world, but people are out and about more. And I That's think true. we know that like one of the ways is to to feel better just generally um, is to, you know, be around other people. There is when you're only reading the news and I, I've gone down this like, you know, bubble myself of just yeah. consuming the negative and I think joining movements, joining, you know, groups who are organizing um, on any issue. Like I just recently joined um, this group called Clean Creatives in New York City. And it's an incredible group that people should check out. And they're working um, through really smart campaigning to get people in the creative advertising and PR industries to stop their companies and the industry from working with fossil fuels. There's still like 230 PR and creative companies who are working with fossil fuel companies and allowing them to continue greenwashing and to soften or mislead or misinform the public. So, you know, that's a really cool way, like you, that maybe not everyone's thinking of, but is so powerful. It's like the tobacco industry. It's like Mad Men, you know, (laughs) it's all of that. community. Yeah. And and so like there's events in New York City and there's, you know, more popping up across the country and that's like a very clear strategic way. If you're in this field, you can get involved. Yeah. The clean creatives need to meet the climate designers group, right? Yeah. That's There's, a good idea. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we need <laughs> to organize that. <laughs> exactly. I'll need your help. Uh, well, what stories? Um, one, one of the things that we're talking about this season, one of a couple of things is what stories need to be told better in, mm-hmm. in the climate actions world and how can how can designers or creatives help? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that on those two questions. Yeah, I mean, I have kind of two answers, and they're they're a bit like regionally based. I hope that's okay. Yeah. No, um, that's totally fine. So I used to, I didn't um, the kind of end of my journey as a professional as I worked um, a lot on human rights globally, um, where climate intersected. It intersects on on so many levels. Um, mm-hmm. Those two issues. And so one thing, you know, working across media and narrative and storytelling is I I don't, I think we need to be better about being honest and truthful with our audiences about what's happening around the world in a lot of countries and the scale of kind of the global injustice. I mean, we're seeing 
massive flooding in Nigeria, yeah. Pakistan, Vietnam, obviously Florida, like yeah. just such grave injustice. And it feels, and, I, and I'm not actually sure I have the answer for this audience, but I'm more so challenging this idea. Um, and I traveled a fair amount. And when I go to other countries, I feel like people are so much more tapped into what's happening compared to Americans. Um, and that's, you know, news cycle, that might be what they see on TV. I don't, I don't know, but I think the story, and it leads to really what's happening at COP, you know, in, in November is in Egypt, these right? countries, yeah, in Egypt is like these, the, the, the big, big UN climate conferences that a lot of countries around the world are desperately asking for more help. And, and I don't think, you know, climate, like design or communication is going to solve it, but I do think it creates you know, th those two things shape our worldview. And if our mm -hmm. worldview doesn't see this as a, a, an extremely unjust uh, global issue, I think we're not going to be as connected to it to understand how to solve it as well. And I think a lot of what we read in the media or see in the news is so American focused that is. thinking, and what does that mean? That might mean language. It might mean visuals that you represent. It might be data that you're using, you know, really kind of questioning yourself and when I started to work on human rights globally that really it pushed me a little bit further so I think that and then like what's happening at the state or local level again mm -hmm. does it it's not as top of mind and it, the stories aren't being told the way they they need to be because it's just so hyper local and I think there's both positives and negatives that are happening but it's also a really good way to tap into as a designer as a communicator like what's happening at the county level or in your you know state elections that are really going to affect whether New York or Illinois or Texas are able to um, support larger American goals yeah. around climate yeah I spoke to um, a friend of mine John Jennings um, an earlier episode, and his response was, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't going to care until it happens to them, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm wondering, based on those two answers, that if we focus probably first on the local, regional, especially um, when there is kind of these unfortunate, like we just saw with Hurricane Ian and in uh, Florida, that when it happens to them, they'll also be more empathetic to what's going on in Pakistan or, or Nigeria or anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if what your thoughts are about that kind of strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, based on the data, we know that most people know that climate change is happening, and the yeah. majority know that it's anthropogenic or human caused um and so i think it's more about like connecting the dots i mean yeah it's 70 degrees in november uh the leaves aren't changing in the same way how do we like mm -hmm. visualize that and connect it to the farmer in nebraska who's experiencing flooding or you know the family in um, California who had to leave their home because of wildfires, and I think that yeah. the really interesting maybe design challenge is like how do you connect people? Of course, like how people are experiencing it is unequal, um, and the timing might be different for different people. But um, there's some humanity in people 
you know, talking about it at least. And that, yeah. I think that's really one of the struggles. And when you look at the data, it shows most people aren't actually just talking about it. They might be reading it, but I mean, I'll, I'll be frank. I don't sit at the dinner table every night and talk to my husband about that stuff. It's, it's hard. Well, um, sometimes depressing too, right? <laughs> it's depressing, right. But, you know, I think the more people hear a balance of those stories and they see both opportunities to get involved locally, whether it's uh, resiliency efforts or local policy, I think, and then connecting them to what's happening across the country, we will find that we have, you know, more in common than, than difference. Yeah. I think at the global level, that's that's a challenge, which I would love to, you know, really hear from your students or other people's students yeah. because it is unless, you know, it, it's 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 another step and another boundary beyond um what people might be experiencing at the local level. But I think it, it really, really matters and as far as storytelling and empathy and human um hu- human lives, you know, and what and what yeah, they're experiencing. I totally agree. Well, good thing is, is that the episode after yours is an interview with my students. So you can (laughs) subscribe on Apple Podcasts and you can hear um, what they have to say. And um, I think, I think it won't necessarily surprise you, but I think some of it might. Mm. Maybe it'd be helpful for you. No, the young people are my, I don't even know how old they are, but generally young (laughs) People are my inspiration I never and, <laughs> and are um, incredible what, how brilliant and creative and mm-hmm. organized they really are in order to get stuff done. Oh, um, yeah. So cool. Yeah, that's why I'm in teaching because when I, I was in uh, industry for a while and then I was in grad school and I was a TA and I remember being a TA in one of these classes uh, with a professor and I just felt all the energy in the room mm. where I was working in corporate America. And I mean, the energy was there, but it was like in pockets and I'd walk through and people just kind of going throughout their day mm-hmm. and they would say things like, is it Friday yet? You know, and then, mm. you know, like maybe this isn't the right place for me to work yeah. when they're, they're not bringing that energy and this, I would say the students don't always bring the same energy. I, <laughs> but in general, like it's, it's super interesting mm-hmm. to be there. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I think that gets kind of back to my career of like moving from different spaces and this idea that if you are in this field and even if you want to work in climate and design, try different spaces because like what gives you that energy to keep going like it's not an easy choice to say I want to dedicate my time my life my profession to this really hard complex thing and so like use your skills where you know you feel like you're doing your best and that took me probably a long time to like learn as a professional that you know there there are places where you just decide you're making a lot of impact and you have the energy to really put in that life force and then Mm -hmm. other places might not. And so, you know, that's part of the professional journey, I think, but an important one. Yeah. And you're in a new space. You're in a consulting space now. How, how is that? And, and what kind of groups are you working with there? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm working as a consultant, mostly with climate nonprofits, um, some philanthropy, and also some climate tech businesses, and all under the, you know, 
umbrella that they're working to make impact. And I, I think it's it's pretty cool. It, it's challenging, but I, I get to produce a lot. And I think, you know, as some as creatives, generally, that's what we want to be doing. We want to be um, putting stuff out into the world and, and really seeing the impact of it. So um, it's a great experience. And I really, you know, I think I've been working for a bit uh, yeah. my age, but um, <laughs> so, and I, I am taking a lot of skills that I've learned over time, but I've also seen like young people who are consultants that are really inspiring too, that are like taking this on because we lived in just Good. a different professional life. And I think that's exciting for them, but I would say the number one most important thing for me to be successful in this was relationships. And I mm. feel like we don't talk about that enough within movements, within professions, um, network. That, like network. And it's, it's not just like a, you know, I, I write you a letter. So then you write me one. It's like, how are you? How's your parents? Like, yeah. Oh, did you move? What's the new house? Like, it's not, it's not just that very transactional, like yeah. LinkedIn like <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> knowing people and, um, you know, them seeing you do good work and then, you know, wanting to hire you. But um, I, that's a huge part. And that's, you know, how I work with media and things like that as well is just keeping relationships alive. And it helps in the long run with, you know, being more successful at whatever you're doing, but particularly if you're trying to make impact on different yeah. you know, justice or climate issues. I totally agree with that because I think the your network is one where it can be purely transactional and you don't really then know the person and then they expect that sort of transaction and it's not like human humanity it's not you know that sort of that personal reflection and touch that you get from truly caring about how to how your friend is doing yeah it's it's really i mean I don't know. I think it's something I had in me the whole time, but I really learned it at WEACT when I, they were trying oh, okay. to organize people. And, you know, like all these digital kind of campaign apps, I'm sure everyone gets like the vote for X and, you know, you get all oh, these yeah. text messages and you're like, I don't, I don't want this. I didn't Especially sign up for this. now. Yes. Why do you know my name and all this stuff? And the model at WEACT, which I think is long-term more effective to get people to do things and to like move power and create power is relationships. And so I would mm-hmm. listen to the organizers sit in our organizing office and be like, oh, is your grandma out of the hospital? And oh, can I do anything? Can I bring something over? And it takes a lot more work, but like, I'm not answering those text messages because I have no yeah. affinity for Me this. either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, versus like people who come to every meeting and show up at City Hall and mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's just a, a really, so like one thing I think about is you, you can organize online, but you got to organize in communities as well and, and, yeah. and know your community, whatever that community looks like. Oh yeah, for sure. And then I think, uh, just like you said, I, I've just in my past career, that's how I kind of looked at networking in that way of how are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of it was just accidental. Like I didn't, that wasn't a strategy of mine. I wasn't yeah. like, okay, I'm not going to be transactional in this conversation. It was just, I don't know. It wasn't something I thought about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that boasting? I don't know. <laughs> no. No. no okay, you're good. Set. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it's a skill I have. Put it on yeah, my resume. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, another question we've been asking all season is about the branding of climate change. And I'm 
I'm definitely interested in your response to this as someone who does this daily. Like, what do you think about how either organizations or the government or whoever it is has branded climate change and our climate action? And should we, do we need to redo this? Do we need to rethink mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would kind of argue the opposite that we need to brand, rebrand who's who's responsible for the mess uh, that we're in. Good one. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Turn the table. I mean, yeah. And I, I mentioned, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but yeah, for decades, the oil and gas industry uh, and the advertising, the design industry um, have had a huge role in branding what climate, the real impacts of climate. Um, they really good podcast that if folks haven't listened to, not to, not to up another podcast. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, okay. drilled by Amy Westerfeld. She she goes into kind of the history of how the creative um, industry has helped, supported, uplifted all the kind of like New York Mad Men um, mm-hmm. agencies helped shape this just like they did with tobacco. And, oh, yeah. and really, you know, it resulted in the media then playing both sides of just like juxtaposing climate sciences equal to climate denialism, even though we right. know that the large, vast majority for years we've known the consensus on that. And it stuck us in this, like, we got to convince people phase and we lost out on years where we could have been finding the solutions, right? And yeah. and deploying the solutions and not having these political battles that we're having. So I, I see it as all interconnected and people have made billions of dollars off of, you know, designing tv ads that make us think that gas is natural and that it's safe um, <laughs> the which natural is a whole, gas and there's an ellen ellen degeneres she did like a whole ad about it right like there there were celebrities involved in this and so i you know i think you mean pro national natural gas it's it was, it's an old ad from like the early 2000s oh, late no. 90s i saw i'll see if i can send it to you but um <laughs> you know celebrities were involved in this it was a whole oh, industry that everything's safe and fine and we're finding the solutions for you and i think um now we're we're reaping the consequences of that so i think True. um it doesn't always maybe come out enough <laughs> it doesn't come out enough like who who's to blame and and right now i think it's happening more with you know oil and gas companies the top five i think made something like 63 billion dollars in this quarter so three yeah i mean the gas prices have been very high and all of that and and if for like figuring out who to point the finger at and not that there's just one finger but i i really think they're still getting off too easily and so i would argue the rebrand needs to happen um and and while they're simultaneously trying to convince us that they're going renewable and and, you know they're part of creating a clean future i think that's that's really something we need to target because it's messy it's not as fun but it's it's really keeping oil and gas in the ground over the Mm -hmm. next 10 years is one of the most fundamental things we need to do to to stop climate change so stop pointing fingers at each other and point them at those five oil and gas companies. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so the the Clean Creatives group is a really good group because, it, you know, it calls them out 
and mm-hmm. and shows and it's almost like the Kanye effect right now, right? Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> just not to bring up like current news, but, but still, he just it's lost true. like millions of dollars because Adidas yeah. dropped him, right? And yeah, he's so no longer a billionaire. Me- he's no longer a billionaire. Exactly. I mean, that's about making people, you know, unsavory. They, they care about <laughs> money, so you got to hit them there, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I and I think design can have a huge huge impact in that. I mean, even just the campaigns that were happening around Kanye for the last week really worked well. that shift. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the new um, John Stewart show on Apple TV, but he, mm-hmm. he interviewed the CEO of Shell and mm. typical John Stewart fashion, great follow-up questions, trying to undercut his BS, the CEO's <laughs> BS. And it was a really tough conversation because that CEO had seemingly an answer for everything and and it's all was framed as it's not Shell's fault it's the um, organization that represents the oil and gas industry we're trying to become renewable help others become renewable and then you know John was always like I really like what but there was no evidence either way that they were and so John wasn't prepared for like fighting no evidence with no evidence. And <laughs> it, it was a frustrating interview I could tell for John Stewart because um, you weren't going to get, you weren't going to get through to the CEO. Right. Right. Well, and he had people like me, but on the other side equipped mm-hmm. for like thinking through what, what John would say to them. They probably watched hours of John's interviews and said, yeah. this is how he's going to approach you. This is yep. how you respond. And so that's why I'm sure it's important to place value and to fund and to support climate communication so that we can help people like John, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and kind of fight the, the battle there a bit as well. Well, also connected to John Stewart, Stephen Colbert. I remember seeing in 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 line with your comment about rebranding who's to blame, I saw, and I think it was Stephen Colbert, he said, let's have a debate about climate science on the show and he brought in 98 people and then two on the opposing side so he's like this is a fair debate not one person for one person against and that is really reframing and revisualizing what really um the science is and yeah i've always remembered that particular powerful yeah yeah uh well we're running out of time here and um coming up to my favorite question that i ask everyone and you had this question ahead of time, so hopefully some time to to really think uh, think your teeth into it. But it's just turning the tables here, and you're you're now a design educator. You're asked to teach a design class, and so thinking about your work and your experience, what would you do if you were asked to teach a project or an entire class um, involving like climate communications? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would assign a project that's a bit of a choose your own adventure. Oh, I, um, like I actually did teach when I was at University of Oregon oh, yeah. and for a bit. So, you know, giving people like five or six different problems campaign like that are potential that you could participate in. Maybe it's something with solar in California. Maybe it's building electrification in New York City. Um, maybe it's a recycling campaign in like the, the South. 
you have a couple of different kind of campaigns or projects that you want to change something and either pass a law or whatever it might be, scenarios. And then students can decide like which one they want to work on. And then, you know, they are designers that like we talked about, they exist in an ecosystem where people are collaborating together. And so just test your boundaries, like try to build a strategy around communications and design and narrative of around how can you shift, um, you know, a certain audience's views on something um, and who would you work with, you know? And I think that's a cool thing because it would allow students also to think about and research like who's working on electrifying buildings in New York State um, and, you know, really get to know different organizations and, you know, kind of present that as a project of how they would go about that and how they would yeah. measure whether they were successful or not with design um, or or with a media strategy or whatever they choose to do. And I think you know, students don't get enough of those opportunities That's sometimes true. in classrooms to really do what you do in the workplace every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So and yeah, I like if that. If anyone does that, I would love to see it in action. <laughs> well, you're making me look pretty smart here because that's what I'm doing in my class this semester. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, there's a bunch of different guests on the program have provided, like you, really interesting design projects. So I gave my students, um, it's about a four week project where they can pick one of, I think, five, five different options, and they're all very different. And then uh, they latch on to one because of its their values or their interests. Mm-hmm. And I wish I knew about that um, Yale site beforehand, but mm. now I do. I can make it better so that they can really understand the audiences more. So yeah, yeah I'm on the same page as you. This makes Great. me feel better about you know, my teaching skills this term. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're great. Yeah, thank you. Um, so with, with that assignment too, um, thinking through it, uh, in terms of, you mentioned earlier on some resources um, besides Yale that I think would be pretty useful for the students with that kind of assignment. Maybe we can have an email afterwards to find out what they are and I can share them on the show, sure. unless you know them off the top of your head at the, at the moment. I've got a list. <laughs> you got a list. Okay, well, yeah. we'll share that then, because I think that'd be really important to have as yeah. well with this to sort of provide the students with as much help as they can. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you today, Brooke, and I really appreciate the work you're doing. You're you're not the uh, TV star, but you're doing all the work necessary for, for them to communicate, and I really appreciate that, and uh, I enjoyed looking through the work you've done on your website. Thank you, Eric. It's been fun. I wish you the best of luck in your consulting business. And where can we learn more about that and, and you online? You can check out brookhavlick.com or find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Brooke Havlick. This podcast is written, produced, and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien. With social media strategy by Michelle Wynn. Music by Casual Motive. Next time on Climify, we'll end our second season with three episodes, talking to design students and recent design graduates to learn more about what they want and need from us design educators when it comes to climate design in the classroom, so they can better turn that into a career creating positive change. Thanks for listening to Climify. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.